Hello and welcome back to the Apprentice One to One podcast. I'm here again today with another new guest and I'm really pleased to share with you that is Gavin Hyde. How are you, Gavin? Very well, thanks, Mark. Yourself? I'm good. Thanks so much for coming along to have a chat with me. We're going to get into the the solar and MCS uh, extravaganza a little bit later on in this podcast. We're going to focus in on that. But before we dive into that, I wanted to get a bit of background from you, Gavin. You know, how long have you been in the electrical industry first up? Oh, crikey. Back to when I was teenage years, really. Runs in the family. My granddad was old school, Remy, army electrician, bodger, basher. Put his hand to anything. Learned the trade from him. I've been doing it on and off throughout my teenage years, helping him. And then come back to it full time, mid-20s. And it's been onwards and upwards since. Worked for a few companies, then branched out on my own. Big passion's renewables. Hate house bashing, but sort of found myself doing it. <laughs> it pays That's the, the way it goes, isn't it? I think none of us hate enjoy it. that, but we just do it. <laughs> Builders hate them. <laughs> That's how it goes. So uh, how long have you been working with your, your own business then? I assume um, it's your it, company that you're working for. It sort of came, I wouldn't say by accident, but sole trader for a year or two, but then... Rather than being Gavin the electrician, I thought I need to get some sort of brand or company name out there. And it was about 2017, I think. Let's stick with Sulis Electrical Services. Local name, Aquasulis from Bath. People sort of get the name. Yeah. And that's when I sort of formed a company and then slowly subcontracting for other people, but then moving over into my own business and just slowly building it up sort of organically, word of mouth. And if anything, COVID was the kick at the backside to really push the business on and COVID was a boom. Is that what you found? So that, that kind of time really boosted you and pushed yeah. you forward? Yeah, because despite everyone thinking the world was ending with all the COVID stuff and you look back and think, what were people thinking? Hot tub inquiries, EV charging, it, the phone just didn't stop ringing. We found the same, to be fair. I think a lot of electricians and tradespeople in general, you know, had that. People were at home, they wanted stuff doing so they yeah. could be out in the gardens and whatnot. And we were busy, weren't we? And he didn't have anything else to spend the money on. Everything was closed. So it was all spent at home. And as one guy said to me, he bought an electric car purely because the roads were empty. He wanted to have a bit of fun. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and that is really how I sort of focused the company on, really. Long term, it was always about renewables, EV, PV, especially with the current energy situation. It's the way things are going. It is. That's one of the things we've spoken about on the podcast before. The people who seem to be... I want to say more successful, but doing well in their businesses, kind of focused in on niche areas. And mm. I say that as someone who's spread around lots of industries. We do, we do literally do everything in my day job. But those people I notice on social media, they really do seem to be focused in on either compliance or EVs, solar, and they're absolutely booming. And it, it looks like you're doing the same. And that journey. Well, I don't think with, you can do everything anymore. Yeah, I don't. No, think we're we're trying and failing at trying to do everything. So you're right. I think. Yeah, I think you do have to pick your niche. And then go with it. Because I just think you can't run a business now in every sector to the same standard. The amount of workmen and hours you need to put in, I don't think it can be done. Do something yeah, you, and do it well. You're probably right, I think. And that's the way it seems to be building. The way training setting itself up as well with a new domestic electrician standard and other standards mm -hmm. that are in development. So I think we're moving towards those times, whether we like it or not. And, and your journey on that began with electric vehicles, you were saying. That's what's led you into now. So Renewables, yeah, it sort of goes hand in hand. Obviously, the EV charging, subcontracting to a lot of the main manufacturers years ago before sort of going out on my own. And that's where I started delving into solar and stuff. But 
I think it was about eight, nine years ago, with their feeding tariffs, it was the Wild West. And I knew Len, seeing how some of these companies were being run, I didn't want to get involved because they were shutting up shop at 6 p.m. on a Friday and opening it on a Monday. And there's just no workmanship or pride in the work there. It's just money, money, money. And I yeah. always thought, if I'm getting into solar, I'm going to do it right, grow it, be compliant. You won't get every job, but do it properly. That was the kind of mindset that I had as well back in those times. You know, it was very common to see a lot of these solar companies going under. Mm. Even the inverter manufacturers would disappear from the face of the earth um, after a couple of years of selling their products. So that was always something that put me off. I think now we're in, in different times and we'll speak about MCS and what that does later on in this podcast that is hopefully helping mm. to maintain that, that gatekeeping because we don't want to go back to that. But the, the EV side of things is an interesting progression to solar for me because that was a changing mindset to normal electrical work. We mm. all moan about our certificates and admin doing the day job. Mm. But with EV, it was expanded again upon that with the uh, in discussions you have to have with the dis DNA. Um, and also yeah. the client proposals and other things and we have to factor in and produce evidence for. So it kind of steps you towards solar. Have you found that as well in terms of admin? It's a bit heavy. The EV side, I didn't find too bad. If anything, once you had a system set up, and this then feeds into the MCS with the QMS, that once you have a system and it works, I think you're on a good path. It's just taking that initial few jobs where really the amount of effort you have to put in to, it's more about self-awareness of the situation. Now, the planning of any job, you know, whatever you're doing, be it a rewire or EV chargers, there's a degree of planning that has to go in. The DNA notifications, once you've done a few of them, you get to know the planners in the various DNO offices. I think you're on to a winner because they're the gatekeeper, really. You can just pick up the phone. Yes, you have to fill a form in, but they'll dig through the email system, find the, and give you an answer there and then. And they'll listen to what you have to say. That Your layer eyes and ears, how good the grid is out there, really. You're seeing things they're not. Feed it back to them. You get a cutout change quite quickly, that sort of thing. So it's about building that relationship with them. Once they know you're doing the job properly and letting them know what's been installed, I think you get a much easier ride with the DNA. Yeah, so the same with a lot of things, isn't it? It's that personal relationship. I mean, yeah. I've used the DNA as, as an example, but there's other things to do with the grants as well with EVs. Mm. I found that all very clunky, the way that the HMRC was still using Excel spreadsheets for things. Yeah. It was a bit... A bit of a, a logistical nightmare and now coming into solar we're in the very early days of it in my company i think you're a bit further down the road than we are yeah. um it is a total change in mindset and again using quality management systems and and things such as that so we'll, we'll start with your journey into solar um the, the training aspect of it first up how did you you find that because obviously some courses we have to take to upskill to be able to offer those services the course itself was the bpec through napier course itself, I actually found quite insightful, actually sitting there and calculating projected, you know, production figures for the solar on the KK values and things. That was really helpful. That's Get the book. book with it. That's a really yeah, good a, book. Yeah. Better than the on-site guide, actually. <laughs> it is. I'm really impressed with that. It was a proper good book to get at the time of doing the course. I did it with Napit as well on the BPEC just the other week. Tearing what little hair I had left out, trying to actually get the course <laughs> certificate and, uh, Give Brett up, neighbor training his dues. He really did push it through and he took ownership, dealt with it. And like I said, I will go back to NAPIT and do more courses, even though with the NIC, I think the training itself was actually quite good, reasonably priced. And I think the BPEC centers as a whole, it's not as well known as just sitting in Gills, EAL, but I think the courses really, they give you what you need to know. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think City and Guilds, are they offering a solar and e a battery storage um, cars at present? I've not noticed Not sure. One. EAL do one through NIC, I believe. I think the LCL do one as well, don't they? But yeah, um, yeah it's a bit short on the ground, to be fair, the, the training that's out there. But if it's offering, I agree with you, it's really, really good. Um, you know, there is an issue with, I think, what do they call them? External verifiers or whatever? Getting Internal, papers. isn't it? There's a, to, There's internally a massive verifier, shortage of those people. Yeah across training so i think it's a big issue out there in the training space in general that getting all these qualifications through and when you've done your your training you want to be straight into mcs offering clients installs we want to be getting on with it we've spent the money so my only caveat yeah, my only caveat to it is check what qualification people are doing and is it on that mcs list because there's a 100%. lot of training providers out there offering the earth and i don't think they're worth the paper they're printed on some of these courses yeah so if you I are that's across the whole industry and you're thinking of getting into solar and going down the route of MCS, go to the MCS website. There's loads yeah. of stuff on there, not just to do with the, the courses, but you get all of the document templates. It really is a detailed place to hit up and start from. So make sure you do check that out and you're taking the right, the right training. So once you've, you've established that and you've gone through the course, you sound to have had the same experience as me. You got some value from it. What's the next step in the chain for you in working? My first call was to ring the NIC, IC, uh, MCS team completely separate division to the normal electrical side and part P approved contractor side of things. Great team said, what do I need to do next? And they said, the first thing to do is HIES or RECC consumer code. So they're consumer protection codes, aren't they? For people yeah. who don't understand and not involved with solar. So we have to be registered with a separate thing. And is that to do with looking after deposits and knowing that the money and finances are secure yeah. and the long-term maintenance of the system is assured? Yes, so uh, there's two parts. Deposit protection and workmanship warranties. They're provided by other companies. We'll come to that, I guess, in a minute. It's more contract, how you sell the product. So if you're sitting in someone's lounge and forcing them to sign the contract, I think you're on thin ground. Old double glazing style sales process. Yeah. They're out there still. <laughs> they are. Yeah, and to be fair, that's actually cheaper than I thought because I was expecting an invoice for a couple hundred pounds, but it seems that if you do join the MCS... With RECC, it's only about 120 or 140 pounds, I think, something like that. I can't recall a figure off my head, but I was expecting a second invoice. And they said, no, because you're joining MCS, it's covered within the fees. Because I think there's some sort of relationship there somewhere. Yeah, I think that the, there's a difference in the way they structure the cost. I think um, RECC do it on a pay-as-you-notify kind of basis yeah. as well. There's some extra fees, whereas HEIS or HIES, whatever it is, Theirs is an annual fee, and that's it. I think that's around five or six hundred quid, mm -hmm. and that's who we've gone through. I think there is a subtle difference. But ultimately, there's a cost there, isn't there, to be aware of? Well, to be fair, I went with RECC purely because it's a quicker process. It seems but the, the, okay. the expected wait. They said uh, it was about ten weeks. I said okay. RECC said um, three, four. Okay, right. Send me the forms. And See, I found it, it the other way around, thing. which is weird. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's just pure workload. It ups and downs. I've been told it's due to geography as well. Apparently, you can't get an on-site MCS assessment in the south of England for months, but up here in the northeast, apparently, it's plentiful. There's loads of assessors who can come out. Well, we'll come to that because obviously, I had the uh, head of MCS at um, NICIC, Dan Yates, come out and do my assessment. So um, that was quite an important visit, actually. A lot of useful info from that. Cool. So back to the REC, it's contracts. Does your contract comply with consumer law, cancellation rights? If you have an express contract, or you go ahead within 14 days, lots of calling off periods, that sort of thing. It really opened my eyes to how careful you have to be of what you promise. And part of the MCS process, they do really place an importance on consumer protection. It's all about protecting the consumer more than the installer, which is 
a bit sort of reverse to what we're used to with trade bodies. It is, isn't it? Do you think that's from the times of solar in the past? They've been extra cautious yeah. because of what happened before? I think so, yeah, because the industry has such a bad reputation. And with the whole net zero goal now for 2050, I think the government will come on board. It's got all the backing it needs. I think there's only two MCS bodies, isn't there? Um, NAPIT and MIC at the moment for solar PV. Yeah, and they're is. all working together. And it's not an easy process. If you're a cowboy firm. You're not going through MCS easy, you know. You really do have to know your stuff and have it in place. Yeah, and I think there's um, the REC and HEIS. They do actually look at the, com the company's trading history, so they see yeah. how long you've been in existence, if you're financially stable. It's not just checking your insurance documents and your qualifications. It is quite. It's a full credit check, I believe. Yeah, so they're checking your, your credit history, the directors as well. So you know, it's pretty fair, and I think it needs to be. And I actually welcome it. I do. I think lots of other people in industry are like that. If something offers value and it's kind of there to help us in terms of dealing with customers and promoting our businesses and working effectively, we don't mind spending the money to do that. Yeah. It's when it's seen as a tick box exercise or kind yeah. of a tax on, on us and offers no value as we've had experience of through Part P, for example. So I think this is a bit different. I don't mind handing the money over when there yeah. is some value there for it. So once you've, you've moved on past the, the consumer protection, we're starting then to delve into the waters of MCS itself, I think. Yes, what a minefield that is, trying to understand. <laughs> That's it's where I so am at the minute. Though. We're just waiting for our assessment. We're kind of getting our quality management system in yeah. place. You've obviously gone through that, so explain the journey to me if you could. I started looking into it, and I didn't know where to start. And a few companies, I approached them. I won't necessarily name them because I think everyone has to sort of form their own opinion of them. There's companies out there, we'll write the QMS for you. But the thing I wanted was you have to understand that and be able to explain it and discuss it with the assessor. So I took the QMS templates from the MCS website. And it essentially, it's almost like a paper version of a data page. You have your QMS document, which there's a sole trader version where it's one person responsible for all roles, which would be my company. Or you could have, say, maybe your company, you might have different people with different roles. And it's essentially going through that and deleting or adding the applicable bits to your business. And then you have associated spreadsheets. So you have one for, say, similar to like your competent person schemes, training records, complaints log, equipment log suppliers, and various things. And once you start going through it, it does kind of make sense. And I think actually, on reflection, I think every business should have one whether you're doing MCS or not, I think it's quite a good thing. Yeah, I mean, um, Ben from Electrical IN, he said recently that their journey into solar actually raised the game of his business. Mm. I don't think he'll mind me saying that. The processes that he's introduced and the developments they've made because of being in the solar industry have helped them across the board. And it sounds like you're finding that as well. Well, this is what was flagged up on the assessment. He said, even though it's not one of the QMS documents, as an MCS business, you must have a period of self-review of the business. So it's almost like a, a, there's no formal sort of way or how you do it, but you must have a process there, he said, that to review business function. So is the business efficient? What can we do better? What's not going well? And that includes training, skills, your subcontractors, that sort of thing. And why wouldn't that be a good thing for a business? I think we should all be doing that anyway. You know, it's CBD, but almost for the business. Yeah, so it's kind of like an ISO standard that bigger companies would have, mm. but kind of made specific for our area of industry. Are you using kind of pen and paper then, or are you utilizing software? How are you actually managing that on a day-to-day -day basis at present? You have your main QMS document, which I have as PDF and Word documents on the computer, but as a whole, spreadsheets. 
So you're utilizing Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, Google Documents, whatever's out there is open format spreadsheets. And good thing that, easy to update, you've got them there. But the important thing is your QMS is within your QMS document, you need to specify where those documents are kept. So there's nothing wrong with having digital versions of documents. But within the QMS, you have to have that file location. And this is where we keep it and be able to refer to it if they put it out. See, I've been looking at using, and we use a software package, ServiceMate, and there's Tradify yeah. and other things that do the same sort of thing. It's kind of be the central point of our QMS system because mm. you've got to have traceability on your yeah. emails and comms with your customers. Yeah. So at the minute, I'm in the process of installing a solar system on my own house as our MCS mm. assessment. So I'm sending emails to my wife saying, this is the proposal for the solar install. <laughs> and she's replying as if she's a proper customer. And it feels very set up, but apparently that's what they want to see through the course yeah. of the process of how you manage that data. And then you've got to replicate that along all the jobs you're doing. So is that something you have to do? I use that already with Adobe. So if I send a document to the customer where it requires a response, I send it with eSign. So the moment they open it, Adobe records that. I have the time, the IP address. And if there's something they need to read, confirm, sign, I get all that back as a digital PDF with digital signatures. And I find that's quite a good system because you have the whole signature document, the timeline at the end. Yeah. So and that's, that's, that's you kind of managing it using um, other platforms and programs together yourself. So mm. there's a bit of manual input in all of that as well, I guess. Um, yes, because the only thing I prefer to use Adobe with, it allows you to edit, edit say, like your easy PV PDFs from proposals before you send them. Because something that's flagged on the assessment was you have the MCS table parts A, B, C, D, so generation, self sufficiency, etc. Yes. Whilst all the data is there in the easy PV file, depending if you do a proposal or a report, it's not in the MCS format. And the MCS guidance says it has to be in the format of their table. So I'm manually adding that into the proposals now just to tick the MCS box. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I wasn't aware of that myself. So yeah, if you add that. battery storage, you get the four parts A, B, C, D. But otherwise, you only get A and B. And the part C is there, but it's all graphical, but not in their format. Ah, Something to watch out for, though. I wasn't aware of that. So, cheers for yeah, it called me because so that's information reports. to me. <laughs> so, I think you use EasyPV as well, don't you? That there's I two do, yeah. documents. There's the system report and there's the proposal. Both are slightly different. One's really brief and one's in more depth. I think the report's the detailed one, and the proposal yeah. just gives you like an idea. So you just got to make sure that table's in there. The full parts, obviously, part D only applies to just battery. Yeah. So, I mean. Understanding that is really important, I guess, because yeah. that's a mistake you can make when you go into your mm. assessment. And if it's not there, you're kind of on dicey water to start with, aren't you? What was the, well, what was three the process? Outcomes, I'll say there's three outcomes of the assessment. Pass, minor issues, you know, send us this by email, correct this now. Or, you know, there's a bit of leeway. If it's a minor thing, you can correct there and then. Most assessors will say, correct that now whilst I check this bit and or email it to us, that sort of thing. Or there's yeah. outright there where you need further assessment. Unlikely you're going to be at number three because I don't think you would invest all that time and effort and money to not be sort of there or thereabouts ready for the assessment. It's a big investment. For sure. You want to be there buttoned up with everything ready to go, don't you? You don't want to be failing your assessment. So you're more like. Because my assessor changed. I was expecting one assessor and on the Monday had a phone call from Dan Yates, head of MTS at MICIC, telling me he was coming instead. I thought, Great, I've got the boss. <laughs> no, no pressure <laughs> then. He did my first electrical one many years ago, so we sort of knew each other, and he's, he's a great guy, really knows his stuff. Yeah. 
that always helps if you've got a personal relationship to them. But yeah. that's pretty daunting, isn't it, to know that your yeah. assessor's actually the person heading the whole thing up. <laughs> yeah, and to be fair, he used stuff, and it was very helpful because I could ask him questions about the scheme and how they're doing things, and it was really helpful. I found it a very beneficial assessment. It's not like your electrical ones, much more in depth. And he actually said that, okay, you've used EZPV for this system design. Manually verify those calculations out. So we have to go through all our projected um, generation figures, looking at KK values and angles. Okay, and so you things. had your book out looking at the charts and the angles, right? Really? Yeah, he had me on the MCS website getting out all the different numbers and manually verifying the calculations of what we were expecting wow. versus the document. <laughs> so you can imagine, it wasn't crikey. <laughs> but I'm it, hoping that I can just print it off from EasyPV and hand it over, not have to do that. <laughs> but it's, I think that's a good thing because it highlighted to me that if you're drawing something, say, on EasyPV and using Google Earth, that ever so slight misalignment with that line, you need to manually correct that in the software before you just go ahead because you could be a degree or two out. That can make yeah. quite a big difference. I think a quality check on the software every now and then, like a dip test, mm. if you like, is, is a good approach. I don't I've know compared I a few, yeah. Sit and calculate them out every single time personally speaking maybe i should i don't know i may get into good habits later on down the line and so yeah it's, it's a beneficial thing people fear it and i wouldn't say you need to fear it have you you know eyes open look at it as a learning experience they're not there to trip you up they want to help you at the end of the day people think oh the assessor he's here to catch me out far from it if anything he was there to help me and he pointed me in the right direction on a few things I mean, you get out what you put in on these things, yeah. don't you, at the end of the day, ultimately, and you make a great point. They aren't there to trip us up and catch us out. They've got to hold the gatekeeping at a certain level, mm. but they want to help us succeed and thrive as electrical contractors at the end of the day. And um, I found all of the assessors I've ever dealt with on um, electrical basis mm. to be very helpful in the past, and I'm sure the MCS ones will, will be the same. Yeah. Um, but it is still daunting. I am still not looking forward to it, I will be honest. Even the assessment day for normal electrical contracting work, you get a bit stressed and anxious about it. I just think yeah. it's the nature of the beast, isn't it, being on the spot. Um, so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not relishing the prospect, shall we say. But so you, I only waited about 10 weeks, so it wasn't a long process. I think from when I, I initially made the inquiry, and I said, okay, I've got the renewable energy consumer code thing going in. They said, give me a pretty firm date. They said, you'll have this all being well. We check your documents. We just need to go through things three to four weeks. But time. So I said, right, I'm going to have this in place. Can we book an assessment? And they got a whole team. And there's a woman at the NRC, in this case, who just does the bookings. And she gave me the date. And like I say, it was almost that much an error, really. Then this quick double check, everything, cross the T's and dot the I's and panic a bit the night before. Have I got everything printed off and ready to hand? Make sure you got the biscuits out. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then it's, like I said, most of it is a site, you know, on office based assessment. And then you have the site visit, which is, I'm not sure, maybe you're an APA, aren't you? So yours yes. might be different. Uh, with my one, uh, I went all in on the first install, 19 panels on three roofs. Give them something wow. to look at. <laughs> Eight kilowatt. <laughs> the day before, he produced 40 kilowatt, which the assessor thought, oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, it was a visual inspection. The weather was on my side, I guess, so he didn't want to spend too long out there. It wet, said, was it? <laughs> yeah, his bungalow, so he could see it quite well. You know, I, I think I think it was your um, podcast the other week, wasn't it? The electrician's one, you said about scaffolding being up to see it. I don't think they do. I've never heard of that. If it's there, I think they may go up and look. But on the whole, I think it is a visual inspection and a verification of the handover pack on site. Yeah, and it's absolutely. just glaringly wrong with the install. Since I've 
that podcast's been out. I've been corrected by a couple of people who've been through it, and that's not that's not right. You are correct. They don't go up, don't have to go up the scaffold. I think if it's there, then they will do, but they don't do that generally. He had the option of going in loft and seeing how the DC cables run. He said, well, I don't need to go up there. Obviously, you know. No so, one's you know, going to go up there by choice too often, Ali, let's be honest. <laughs> and yeah, you know, he's just like asking questions. Okay, what have you done this? And he's checking for things like, you know, the big solar PV sticker. Well, she might have an extreme, you need it at the meter as well, which in this case was remote from the casino unit. Yeah, AC isolators, casino unit and at the inverter, they're remote from each other. DC isolators, which I know is a big thing at the moment. He yeah, said, strictly speaking, about. not required, but you could argue under 7671 that, you know, safe systems are work, good workmanship, they're required. And my view is, and he agreed, you should fit them. I don't see why you wouldn't. Yeah, we've had this discussion a lot. I totally agree with you. I think while manufacturers and inverters will tell you that their DC isolator complies with that standard, what happens when that inverter's on the floor being replaced and the string is dangling in free air? So I, I don't like understand that. If the DC isolator in the inverter fails, where's your means of isolation? Do you then have to pull those MC4s out under load? It's, yeah, you know, you make... so take it out of the equation. They're not expensive. That... I think most electricians who are looking at this with our normal electrical heads on, if you like, all say the same yeah. thing. We all think that, and it is a it's a different aspect to learn on. There may be developments that we don't quite understand, maybe in the way the inverters do shut down and take the panels off load, but ultimately that voltage is still there, isn't there? So, yeah, for me, fit the, the DC isolators. The two main things I took from it, if working on a system or planning something and there's any ambiguity over regulations or what's the applicable standard, then MCS supersedes 7671 order code of practice. If there's any doubt, the MCS one takes precedence because you're working to the MCS standard. Yeah. Which opened my eyes because we're so used to working to 7671. That's it. Some of the default responses I've had is, well, we work to BS7671. That's, that's it. That BS7671 says this. But MCS is actually kind of like a, a standard in itself, isn't it? In a yeah. way, it's like a mm. consumer trading standard. And if you want to work in that scheme and offer your services to customers so they can claim the SEG payments, you need to follow mm. those rules, whatever our standards are telling us in other places. And the other one, which is really hot on, and I think reading between the lines, long term, there's going to be some sort of link up of systems, is DNA notifications. And he asked me, he said, have you got your pre-install? Because this one, eight kilowatt system, G99, pre-submission form, the actual one say it's done, and then the commission certificate, you want to see all of them, and then the final letter say, we're happy with this to say connected, thank you for sending us the forms in. And you do need that as well for the actual SEG payments, don't you? They will ask for that alongside the MCS certificate, so make sure you're doing it. It's the key for that. And they are checking and verifying it. Yeah, it is, it is admin heavy based on what I've seen in that process. Obviously, done the G99 on my, my own house already in advance with our local DNO. They've sent a letter back, as you say, saying they're happy for it to proceed. And then the process is again on commissioning. You fill in another separate sheet that you have to provide to them, don't you, for them to then receive yes. and acknowledge. So it's quite it, uh, a bit of a depends on DNO. Some of them are digital and some are still paper based. Around here, we have Western Power National Grid and SSEN. Both are going to a digital system. That's very helpful. And, yeah. And once you've done the initial G99 thing and they said, yeah, we're happy with this, the commissioning one is very simple. Send it in with the final schematic and they just, thank you, here's your letter sort of thing. It's Oh, that's good. Northern Power Grid do it on an email kind of basis. Mm -hmm. So you email in your PDF with yeah. the, 
details they'll email you back acknowledging it saying you can proceed or not or whatever they need to do in terms of a site survey and then send them back the, the commissioning information mm. as well before they issue a final letter hopefully they go fully electronic mm. that'd be helpful yeah so it, i think there's going to be a lot more linking up of systems and back office stuff not necessarily at our level as the installer but in terms of the mcs so when an mcs certificate is issued similar to what happened with the car chargers and um, osev it's going to go to the dno and if they suddenly get in their inbox, this has been certified, and they're going to look, well, is the G98 or G99 been sent in? And it'd be interesting to see what comes out. I wouldn't be surprised if the email then goes back to MCS, say he's not done it as he should done. Yeah, I mean, who knows what's going to come down the road. There must be lots of installs out there that probably haven't been notified mm. to the DNO. And when they come along and encounter those, are they going to say they've got to be disconnected from their their system? Um, I don't know quite how that's going to play out, to be fair. There have been the rights to Who knows? Why take the gamble? Yeah, there's customers out there who are. There's customers I'm aware of who aren't worried about the MCS side of things. They're not planning on making any seg uh, claims. They just want a solar system to benefit from the energy. They think it's a cheaper way of getting it installed using non-MCS installers. I've seen these discussions on social media quite recently. Um, yeah, and it, it's scary because I think when you go down that road, you put yourself <laughs> in a position if you ever sell your house or yeah. things change and the DNO come and have a look or your metering company have a look, they can stop you you from having that system connected. But the MCS thing, I think for some, it's bureaucracy, they don't want to get involved with it, they just fit in solar panels, they don't care. But on the consumer side, especially with EPCs, right, so I live in Bath, a lot of them need it now for the HMOs to get up to a C on the EPC. And the yes. only way you can do that is solar PV. I've got landlords coming to me saying, don't care about generation or what it's going to produce. All I want is an EPC that says C or higher once it's installed. Fit what you need to, and then let me know when you can do it. So That's it's why you see these installs with two panels on the roof. <laughs> yeah, so it's a funny one because you still got to follow the full MCS process. And you tell them about, this is what it's going to produce. And you know they don't care. They're just going straight to the back page. How much is it going to cost me? Yeah, but you still have to go through all that, that process. <laughs> It's a long-winded process, and you think this could be so much simpler, but the rules are the rules. They are, they are. We mentioned mentioned software, so you're using Easy PV. I think there's is it Open Solar as well? Yeah, Open Solar one takes a bit more. It's all free, all free though, yeah. isn't it? Is what I found, mm. which is good. Yeah, it's a funny one because I played around with a few, and Open Solar is a bit more in depth. You need a bit more time to learn the system. I think that one, Easy PV. I think a kid could literally pick it up and draw a roof and drag some panels on it, literally leads you to the water, does it lead you step by step? Which, if you're new to the system and the whole PV world is a good start, long term, I may not use easy PV. I think there's more sort of in-depth stuff out there. The Solar Edge one's brilliant. Very sort of harness water own products, of course. But it's just finding what works for you. I don't think there is a right or wrong one, one size fits all. The reason I went with with easy pv was it kind of builds the whole install as a package yeah. doesn't it and then links through to the wholesaler without mentioning yes. them so when you're not sure of how many rails and hooks and brackets you might need because you're kind of new to it to know that you've got a good starting base of equipment is helpful <laughs> all i'd say is on that i've learned the hard way i needed an extra 40 centimeters of a rail okay <laughs> so i end up with four rails which one would have sufficed i could have cut I thought, what a clever way of making the minor origins up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I've been and adding on a few yeah. extra hooks and reels on every order just to be sure. Yeah, and that supplier who shall not be named, you get the list price, which when you contact them or go through your other suppliers, it should be considerably cheaper. Yeah, you're yeah. just seeing the public price there, aren't you, sir? You are, unless you've got your trade account. You need to make sure you're going through those hoops and getting the best prices for yourself. Because um, we're all in it to make a living at the end of the day. Battery storage is the other part of the jigsaw, isn't it, I think? Solar without battery, I don't think, pays for itself. The self-sufficiency, unless you've got a huge roof, isn't there. And that's a whole other thing to learn about island mode, your earthing arrangements, sizing. It's The list goes on and on, doesn't it? And there's so many products out there, and I think you have to find what works for you in a niche. Stick with one or two, learn them well, and know how to install them, because that must be, what, two dozen battery manufacturers out there now? You can learn all of them, that, those products. No, easily, you're right, there is loads out there. And um, we're doing the same, sticking to a couple of core mm. ones. For those who've followed some of my content, you'll see and I'm using Solar X predominantly. Solar um, X, yeah. Yeah, I was saying it wrong to start with, apparently. I've been corrected, I was calling it Solax, but apparently it's Solar X, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird one. But I'm trying to do that. You learn all about that product, understand how mm. it works. In my own house, I'm trying to set up an island in mode system mm. with a changeover mm. switch and trying to mess around with it and understanding the earthing systems, as you said, just so you've got a better um, understanding of how it all work, works when you approach your customers, really. So I am all in on that at home. I started with Alpha. Very oh, good the stuff. ESS it's, ones, it? Yeah, it, um, it's a self-contained unit, inverter and battery all-in-one. Yeah. Very easy to understand, install, even that PV, just to use it with uh, overnight cheaper tariff. It's, it's a good starting point to learn and understand the fundamentals. And to be fair, I've stuck with it. If I'm doing a retrofit AC coupled, my first port of call is Alpha because it's so easy to install. I'm very nice user interface for the end customer. And there's plenty out there. And I think they all promise a lot, but I don't really see what sets them all apart. I think it is user uh, interface and reliability. We are creatures of habit, aren't we, electricians? Mm. We do it the same with distribution boards. If we find a brand we know we like, we tend to stick with it. Mm. And I think it's the same with a solar kind of thing. Mm. You get used to a product and you like it, so you, you mm. keep running with it. But like you say, they all do pretty much do the same thing. And I agree with you as well, going back to your point with the solar and the battery, doing the calculations for my own <laughs> home, very much so the battery is an important aspect of it. And the payback periods, based on the cost of energy at the minute, are getting mm. shorter and shorter. Whether that changes as energy prices are fluctuating, hopefully they do come down. So obviously mm. when that happens, the payback periods grow again. So it is a, a fluid marketplace, isn't it? Mm. But I think we're getting much more to that whole prosumer integrated household, aren't we, with EV, solar, battery, immersion tank diversion, underfloor heating off the solar as well. It's all starting to integrate together, where a lot of things are going to have to start talking to each other in the house. I think the days of S-Panel Y-Plan is coming to an end. It's going to be yeah. a much more digital household. It is, when you throw... Your heat pumps into the mix as well and other things alongside that and you're monitoring the external temperatures yeah. your pipe flow temperatures uh, there's lots of technology that's coming into play and it like you say it's all mm. joining up to one big hive mind isn't it in your own house to get the best mm. value it comes back to something that i spoke about on the um, mcs customers about over promising i think i'm very cautious of not over promising to the customer same <laughs> and if you look at the mcs values of what it predicts you will generate they're on the conservative side. And you the maximum you can ever say that self-sufficiency is 95%. You can't be 100% self-sufficient. You can't use 100%. It's capped at 95 And I think 
we're going to go down the route one day of where you miss old PV, where you miss old air source heat pumps. It's all coming. And that then comes back to your whole QMS system and keeping your records, your design, verifying it, checking it, and not over-promising or fudging the figures to get the job. It's not worth it. If you're running a business, be sensible. We don't want to be the PPI of the future, do we? That's for sure. No, it's going to come. Be truthful with your numbers. And it's just about finding what works for your business, I guess. All I'd say to anyone is don't fear the MCS process. It's there almost like a badge of honour. Go through it, improve your business. It will make you a much more efficient and insightful person, I think, for your business and use it to help grow. 100% echo that. And in terms of the, the expenditure you've gone through to get to where you are now, We've had these discussions, if you listen to the podcast with Neil, I threw an, est- I threw an estimate at it myself. What kind of figure have you spent, um, roughly, do you think? I think I'm probably somewhere about four and a half, five grand in now. Okay, that's that's not bad. That's that's a lower figure than I was expecting, to be honest. Because so in terms of testing equipment, had all the equipment, tools, I think going to get some wear and tear on the tools. I'm mindful I'm probably not going to be up there with nice Nipex pliers on a wet roof on a windy day. I think I'll be using some cheap ones from your local DOI shed. But you can have wear and tear. The only thing that's really shocked me is when you mentioned solar, it seems a lot of the prices of things suddenly jump up. The insurance was actually quite cheap. That only added about 80 or £100 pounds onto my annual premium. Really? Because mine's gone yeah. nuts when I put solar And that was direct massive. line. People said, direct line, don't do solar. I rung them and spoke to them. I said, oh, yeah, we do solar. Not a problem. Really? Because they told yeah. me they don't do it. I asked the same question. I was told no. <laughs> I've got a no, direct line, did it? Maybe they closed the door since, but they added it on. Yeah, not a problem. So I'm not sure. I think it depends who you speak to and how you go about it. But I guess the MCS application fee, you know, I think that was about £840. Yeah. Initial application, one technology. You've got training. You're talking four or £500 per person. Is there a need for every person in the company to do the training? You can argue no, but I think if you're running a business, investing in your staff, it pays you back more than you'll ever spend. Then you see your insurance and then all the extra equipment. You know, I've just ordered a solar panel lifting bag for scaffolding on the gym wheel, £360. <laughs> I think it's a piece of tarpaulin with some Velcro straps and some clips. You've got the <laughs> same part as me. I've ordered the same thing and I think exactly yeah. the same. Someone out there has made a fortune on these bags, I'm sure. I'm our pants down on that one. No yeah, question. I looked on AliExpress and I couldn't find one. <laughs> <laughs> Eight to ten week lead time for a bag. And it's the things you have to buy and then you've got all your, your harnesses, your equipment from the scaffolding. There are so many things you have to buy. And the codes of practice, the documents, it is, I think I spent about £300 on books in the last month. Yeah, I mean, this this one, the um, IET code of practice, that was like 75 quid plus yeah. VAT. Or, or maybe, uh, yeah. They don't have VAT on, I don't think, but 75 quid. It's a lot of money on a guy's well, you document. You've got your energy storage system one, your solar PV, your EV charging one if you're factoring that into it. You know, so many books. It is. So there is a cost there, isn't there? I think that yeah. you need to be aware of. People who are coming into this, you need to be prepared for that. You're going to have to invest some money, lots of time. There's lots to learn. And it isn't just around the roof work. That was naively what I thought at the outset. I'm just going to have to learn how to work on a roof. There is lots of that. But there's yeah. lots of your admin, lots of management, changes in the way you may be running your business. And it's if you're an apprentice following well. along, be prepared to. Stock management and materials handling is the big one. For sure, definitely. At the moment, I'm sort of pushing my luck, I think, with my supplier. 
I keep the stuff there till I need it. They deliver the panels to site, but long term, I'm going to have to have some sort of storage unit. So that's another big overhead. And it just goes up and up. Yeah, we spoke about that on the podcast as well. How smaller companies growing into solar mm. and the aspect of looking after the storing of those materials. What you've said is exactly what we, we discussed, really. You know, it's a, a change in the way you run your business because you do need that space. Wholesalers aren't going to sit on pallets full of panels for you. And if you're running through a solar install a week, it soon adds up keeping on top of yeah. that, doesn't it? And likewise, your credit limit with suppliers. You, unless you've got a really big cash flow and bank balance, you need to have a good credit rate and then be speaking to your suppliers, paying your bills on time. Because, you know, I'm racking up bills, you know, but material space over two, three months. At one point, I think they had about £20,000 worth of materials there for me. At some point, the moment they leave the warehouse, I'm going to have to pay for them. You it know, it's been up. It is a total shift, isn't it? You can go from a business mm. that's maybe turning over eighty to £120,000 as mm. a small one-person company, and all of a sudden, you're jumping up into the half-a-million-pound category just from yeah. changing your marketplace. and all of the risk that comes with that of storing materials and having credit accounts that will help you trade at that level is a difficult bridge to cross, but it's one that can be done. And it's a big step up, like you've just said for me, going from that one-man band business around sort of the six-figure threshold to then things like, I'm going to have to recruit properly rather than just hiring people in for the day or on a like subcontracting basis, so like proper apprenticeships. And then you think, crikey, if I do all this, I then got to keep the work coming in because now I've got people... I'm responsible for they got their families their bills i have to pay all that as well their wages it's a bit worrying you think am i mad for going down this route but <laughs> the rewards are there long term cost the eye i mean it's in for a penny in for a pound sometimes isn't it life's a journey and yeah. adventure so you might as well make the most of it while we are out grafting um i think it's exciting i think it's a huge growth area i don't mm. think that demand's going anywhere anytime soon so you should see that consistent workflow and growth and apprenticeships are a great way to kind of do that. We've got the domestic electrician standard. I don't know if you've mm. seen that one, but that's yeah. kind of focused at renewables a bit. So that might be mm. quite helpful to you. Maybe. I tried the whole apprentice thing, which for yourself, the whole apprentice one-to-one, which I think is a brilliant thing. It's been needed for a long time. Something to link employers and apprentices. Why it's not come from industry and it's been sort of falling on yourself to do it. There's 101 answers to that. but Things are changing on really that front, hopefully. <laughs> I tried to ask the local college, and it's like banging your head against the wall. And it's just, you know, I'm at that stage now where I'm looking at it, thinking for sort of September, but it's just trying to deal with the college. You just never get replies. Nobody wants to talk to you. And sometimes the, the people that do contact you out the blue aren't the person for your business. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it, finding the right person to match in with what you're looking for there has to be that that synergy between individuals at the end of the day doesn't there and then a college yeah. to help deliver the training and look after the funding there's the costs that come alongside it all mm. as well at the minute the government grants have largely been rolled right back yeah you have to actually pay towards the training of your apprentice mm. it's not really enticing to lots of employers making their first steps forward into recruitment but i think longer term if you've created these employees in the mode you want them there's great mm. benefit in that yeah but it does take time there's no quick fix to it do you think there's a lot of businesses, especially sort of the older electricians, fear the renewables? Because I'm finding that locally, be it EV yeah. charging, solar, don't want to get involved with that. We get loads Not of like referrals it. from them. They'll actually phone us up and say, I've got a customer we've just done a kitchen refurb for, yeah. and they're wanting an EV charger, can you do it? And you're like, well, yeah, of course we can, but it's a radial circuit, why aren't you doing it? So, yeah. But they don't want to even learn about it, they're not interested. Yeah, which I think 
if they come to the end of their career, not interested, they're happy just going where they are. But I think for any new sort of person into the industry or in early 20s, you have to embrace rules. It's not going in. No, I mean, you've got to make that step up, haven't you, into into wanting to learn about it. And like you said, if you're towards the end of your career and just seeing out your time, you know, it's a change you maybe don't want to make. I get it, I yeah. guess. I might be there one day. I'm getting close to that line yeah. every passing week. <laughs> but for any business, I think there's a whole embrace of renewables and it also comes back to customer relationships. I've not advertised for Soda yet and I think now I've got six installs booked in. And that's all word of mouth. That's really good. Referrals. And I, that's how I want to go because I'm seeing these companies. You must see there must be a hundred adverts every day on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, I'm thinking, where's their profit in that? And I think you're going to do, do it properly, given the service you'd want to receive. And I think the business will just naturally grow because there's that much work out there. Embrace yeah. it, get involved. Sure, I mean, just sharing, you know, what we're doing on social media doing a few videos and a few posts here and there. I had lots of inquiries. I mean, from from friends even who've been yeah. connected with me through social media. I didn't realize you did solar or you were getting into it. We were really interested in that and mm. a new customers coming into the business. So you don't have to actively market yourself and spend budget mm. on there. I think the demand of people want it is there. And if you've got a good reputation around an existing customer base, it's a great place to pitch that yeah. new service too, isn't it? And it goes back to the whole thing of finding your niche. Do you want to be doing kitchen refurbs or house rewires, or do you want to do something different? You know, it's it's not for everyone. It's quite a labour-intensive job holding thirty kilogram panels up to a roof. There's a lot of admin, like we said, where some people might just like to rewire a kitchen and go home at four o'clock and be happy. You know, it's finding what works for you. Of course, it is. I mean, we're not all going to be fancy and bin up on the roof, but fortunately, with a lot of that work you know because i don't like being up at heights and on roofs i've said it i hate it it. but the aspect of the inverter and the battery storage and all the Mm. wiring around that i find really interesting and enjoy doing it and i employ people who are happy to work at height and go up on the roof so there is there is a role for everyone in that kind of marketplace isn't there i think to find something that you do enjoy and get some benefit and reward from it's not an easy industry to enter low renewables i've learned that because the information it's almost like it's always out of date be that's from manufacturer to regulations it almost seems like every day it's out of date and it's behind the curve of where we actually are a bit like with the amendment that came out pay for your nice expensive books and they did amendment one for ev charging <laughs> then you kind of think we're almost there with solar and battery because there's so much misinformation oh uh, should you put a battery in a loft should you not can the inverter go in the loft personally i wouldn't put a battery in a loft too big a risk in my view I took jobs down where they've asked for it. And I just feel like the regulations, building regs, it all needs to come together and join up to some sort of agreed standard. Because at the moment, it's very piecemeal. I agree. I mean, the guidance documents, look at the EV one. Is it on its fifth version now? I think there's quite a few, isn't there? And it's. I have a pile been, of them somewhere. Everyone around that long. <laughs> yeah. the, the solar and now with the second generation, I think the battery storage one is currently yeah. in redone, isn't it? So there's. Like you're saying, the manufacturers updating their products and their data sheets all the time. In sharing the Solar X or Salax stuff, I've had questions about the Slave and Master batteries because apparently this new Master battery I've been fitting looks just like the old Slave one. So they're thinking it's and it's all just changed that rapidly. These things are and the version one's not compatible with version two. It's yes, it's what we're saying is there's lots to learn, but lots of opportunity too. Because there's this big debate as well, isn't there? You know, I think you posted something recently, didn't you, about um, bi-directional RCBOs. I've, yes. I've been looking, I think there's only about two or three manufacturers. 
And it makes me wonder how many have been installed with the wrong ICPO. Oh, it's a type A, double ball, that'll do. Really, you should be going back and changing them. You know, it's industry needs to work with the installers, the manufacturer, the products need to be there to make it easy for us, and then we can use the products. Yep, that was a learning curve for me on an install I'd shared. I was using a Legrand board, I think, and someone said, well, is your RCBO bidirectional? And I was like, what the hell are they on about? It's like that yes. even entered my thought process. But when you delve into it, you absolutely do need that, not so much for the way the RCBO works, but so you're not damaging it when it is running in the reverse direction, which makes so much sense when you actually stop and think about it, doesn't it? Because when you think about 7671, we naturally think 30 milliamp RCD protection in a dwelling, we're away. But if you look at some of these inverters, it says local regulation. So if that cable's less than 50 mil, you've got to fit RCD protection. Now, 7671 would say 30 milliamp is less than 50 mil. But if you look at the book, some of them are saying 100 milliamp or 300 milliamp in type B. You try finding yes. one of those on the shelf to fit in a board. Yeah, you, know, you could be looking gonna... a couple hundred pounds just for an RCD of the subboard. You know, it's, it's really hard. And again, because of the MCS rules taking presence over 7671 and you have to follow the manufacturer's instructions which you could argue 7671 says as well you have to follow what that book says fully inverted otherwise you're non-compliant yeah yeah that's it you've got to really look into these things and make sure you do tick all those boxes that's a learning journey i'm on myself uh, and anyone who is entering this industry to become solar installers need to be prepared for that so what would you say that are the next steps for you now, Gavin? Are you looking actively to take people on? Are you taking that step um, into growth? I'm actively giving it thought. I wouldn't say I'm at the stage necessarily where I need to take someone full time because I'm more than happy to be up on a roof fixing hooks and running DC cables around houses, lofts and converters. I think lifting panels on is definitely a two-man job unless you're on a very, very low bungalow. But it's a safe system to work. You're going to do it well. You need to have some sort of efficiency where it's a two-man job so that's definitely on the pipeline the apprentice definitely september time i think is going to have to be done and my only worry is i think am i able to give them the experience and breadth of jobs they need to do their portfolio at the end of the day if you're only doing solar or renewables they need to be doing a few other jobs along the way to get that experience you know they're an apprentice they need to be able to do all things not necessarily brilliantly all of them but they need that experience of pre-phase containment conduit trunking you know it's there's lots of skills that go into it you may never use them after your apprenticeship if you're doing house bashing but i want to be able to give them the full breadth not just i know how to fit solar panels and what am i going to do in my life sort of thing i think there's a lot of thought that goes into it it's easy to say i'll just take an apprentice on as an extra pair of cheap abrahams but you've got responsibility there to sort of invest in them yeah, of course you have. And that's the two differences, I guess, in those new apprenticeship standards, the domestic electrician one, mm. you would have the full scope of work doing solar and renewables to cover that mm. off because you mm. are still working with consumer units, final circuits. But if you want to offer someone the opportunity of a traditional full apprenticeship, which I absolutely gets, that's the one I want to offer people, yeah. then you need to have that scope of work to yeah. be able to provide them an opportunity to demonstrate the skills and learn at the end of the day, don't you? I've asked the college these questions about the domestic. Um, Most of them don't know about it yet. The clueless. Literally, I may as well talk in Mandarin to them. They were like, yeah. oh, is that a thing? Oh, is there funding for that? Um, can you get the information for us and send it to us and we'll have a look? I'm like, you should have this. You've got however many dozen teenagers studying electrical insulation. Why don't you know this? And I just feel like it hasn't really been advertised. I know it's like the purists out there say it's undermining the industry and things like this, but I don't see it that way because I think the way the industry is going... You can't be an all-around electrician anymore, being 
industrial, commercial, domestic, I think you are getting to that stage now where you have to sort of pick your flag and know you master it. You know, am I going to be domestics, renewables, or am I going to do commercial and the full breadth with domestic as well? I think now you will have to pick which direction you want your career to go in because you're yeah, not going to be able to learn it all. You're not, and it's choice, isn't it, at the end of the day? People have oh. got choice and opportunity. And you're right, lots of this hasn't been promoted that well as yet. It is quite new. I think there's some smaller private training providers who are oh. starting to offer this from September. So we should see a lot more publicity oh. around it as that happens because the funding's there from government oh. to cover the, the training. I think it's a, a useful development for employers such as yourself who maybe yeah. can't take an apprentice on because you don't have the scope of work based on the direction of travel yeah. you've taken with your business. Yeah. But now, now you do. We need to remember apprenticeship standards are all employer-driven. They start from employers. Yeah. That's how mm. they get the funding and how it works. So it's there to help you and help the people who want to come and work in that industry alongside you. Is there anything else you want to add to this discussion before we draw it to a close, Gavin? No, I think that's about it. I'll be in touch at September until I get this apprentice lined up. <laughs> exactly. No. For, those, for those of you who are looking to um, follow along with, with Gavin, if you want to see his um, installs and what his business does, I'll tag his Twitter account in the description of this video so you can go off and check him out and maybe hound him with a few messages for a job in September. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be in a date now, I'll regret saying that. But no, I think what you do with the apprentice one to one is badly needed. I just wish it was more linked up with the colleges themselves than leaving like, the trade to sort it out. It's kind of like we're out there trying to sort it all out ourselves, but the government say they want apprentices, but they're not really helping us, so no, they say one thing, but the actions that they, they produce say something totally different, don't they? But there is things going yeah. on in the background with industry, yeah. I've got to say, to try and step up and do a lot of what Apprentice One to One has done and hopefully on a much bigger and more effective scale because, you know, what I've done is a tiny little ripple in a massive ocean. Yeah. They can really cause some huge waves, so I'm hoping they are going to come forward and do that. But no, it's always good to talk to you, Mark. You know, I'm on Twitter. I, I try to offer my insight and wit. May not go down well, but no. I mean, Twitter on the whole has got a bad reputation, but within the Sparks community, there is actually quite a lot of experience and knowledge there. That if you ask something, you generally do get quite a sensible answer, and there's someone that will have the advice or know someone who can point in the right direction. There's some really experienced electricians yeah. on Twitter. I love it. I think it's like the 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 old working man's club of the past, if you yeah. like, where people will sit and get a bit carried away sometimes. But generally yeah. speaking, the knowledge on there is immense. Well, I refer, to, showy. <laughs> I refer to Darren Cranis, and you know, he's got his famous pink jacket, but because of him, I joined the ECA, and their tech support has been absolutely brilliant, second to none in helping me with the MCS renewables process. And some of those questions it. you're not aware of or things you wouldn't have thought about in terms of cables, double insulated and where you can run them and what you can use, I wouldn't have known that unless I'd asked the ECA technical helpline. So That's really worth the investment. I'd say to any company out there, you may not see how the ECA would help you, but actually worth its weight in gold and worth that monthly fee for that tech support. And they've got your back, sir. Darren's a ledge, just to put that out there. I agree with you. He's a fantastic, knowledgeable person in the ECAs. Yeah. Something we looked at, we looked at joining, I spoke about this. I wanted to join the ECA, but I got upset with the fact they don't accept the NAPIT technical assessment and they have to have an oh. NIC one. On yeah. the ECA, come out and see it's just like more assessments. I've got MCS, I've got NAPIT, I've got. Well, this. I, I don't, want, I don't want another or, one. <laughs> ECA owns Search or something like that. There is a relationship there. They're sort of the same company, but not as So, yeah. If one you, of those, you want one of those but, yeah. It's good to hear that you're getting value from it. I mean, eventually I'll probably take that leap myself and stomach yeah. the extra assessment. But thanks for taking the time to to chat with me, Gavin. I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot myself. I really do appreciate yeah. it. I'll definitely be bugging you with more questions along the way as my no MCS adventure builds. 
And if anyone does yeah. want to reach out and, and get in touch with Gavin, I will tag his um, yeah. Twitter account in the description of the video and a link to his website as well. If you're down in the Bath area and you happen to stumble across this video and you're looking for solar PV or an EV charge point, hit Gavin up and you'll get a cracking job. Thank you very much to everyone for listening. Cheers, if you've got any questions or comments in and around this discussion, please do drop them in below and we will see you on the next one.